If you can remain standing, I'm reading from Colossians chapter 4. We're going to have some more names. And as I read these names, there's a description, maybe a one word on each of these names. Keep thinking about what you've heard and the names that you can identify with. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Titicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved to comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Mark, Luke the doctor, and Dima sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha, the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write these greetings in my own hands. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, with that grace now, we pray you will take your word, and Father, we will understand, and Lord, we will be able to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So we're talking about friends this weekend where you've been able to meet some friends, but we've also heard what some of our uh, congregants and team members shared about friends. I hope we'll be more friendly as we leave today, and we'll get to build some more friends in person and online. I'm going to introduce you to some friends, but they're not really friends because they are part of our congregation. They grew up here. They did ministry here, you know, women's Bible study and involved in the life of the church and went to school here uh, in seminary to prepare for ministry. So Derek and his wife, Marilyn, you can see the panels there. They were here, they had three of those. Thank you, welcome them. Welcome back. They, they left with three kids, they are back with five, and they are visiting us for, for some time. They'll be here, and I want you to get to meet them. They had moved over to Girona in Spain, in the area of Spain that is called Cataluna. That's where they are reaching people for, for Jesus but they are part of those we as support as missionaries from Northland here, the church and individuals, you know, support them in their ministry and still will be welcome you joining in that to pray for them, to give uh, to their ministry and some of you may, may like to go there. God uses 
everything in missions, you know, they're in leadership development, he's a software engineer, but he combines that with his seminary training to do missions work over there. So we're so glad for you guys joining us with your kids. They're going to be at the end of the service, they'll be in the, in the lobby there. Get some of those things you call the, the swag, you know, you can remember them when they go away and be praying for them. Those are friends, but those are ministry friends like we see in the passage Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking that friendship is part of how we do ministry. What we see in this text is also what is biblical. If you've been reading the scripture when we are studying about David, we talked about David and Jonathan were friends. They were friends because of the kinship, but they were friends also because they were people who are connected with God. I see each one of you as those friends and relationship that I have. Jesus calls us friends in John chapter 15 from 12 to, to 15 where he says, I call you friends because it is that way we're doing ministry together. So we're going to gain some insights and principles that we can apply that Paul is writing, talking about his friends in this passage. And you're going to even have this opportunity to see new friends that you may not have met at Northland at the end of the service, that these are the friends that we're part of. So Paul put these friends in, in different categories. The first two we're going to look at were the ones who were going from Rome in prison, where Paul was a prisoner. They were going over to Colossae with the letter that Paul had written. And then Paul is also talking about the friends who were with him in prison. So Paul had a couple of friends who they were all in prison. He was in chains, as he said. Some of them, they were under house arrest. We'll find out why somewhere around him in prison. The third group of friends that Paul talks about in this passage are the friends who are in the surrounding area where the church that he was leading was. So we're going to dive into these uh, friends that Paul has, just like we have here. We said, uh, hello, my name is. We're going to be seeing also these friends that we'll start to talk about. Verse 7 has, we'll say hello to Titicus. I'll call him Ty. This guy here is called Ty. Is that what your name is? I just thought about that. I saw you here. So we call him Titicus, but his name is Ty. What is Paul saying about this partner in ministry? Right there. He said he's a, their brother. That means their bond was in Christ in Jesus. He said he's a faithful minister and a fellow servant. That he was there to serve. Titicus was taking this letter out to Paul so that others can get to know what Paul is saying. Because Paul says he's my confidant. Titicus is the guy I can trust. He's a, he's a leader in the church. He's here. He's my errand boy. I'm sending him out there to tell you about what's happening in prison. It wasn't all easy because if you're in prison, you're going out to tell others about Jesus. You got work to do. So Paul trusted him. Paul could call him his brother. He said, this is the guy. He will tell you the truth about my ministry because he said, we're all part of the team. You know, when we serve at the church here, we have a whole host of team. Not only those of us who get up here, you know, vocal, instrumental, and, you know, the people doing, but the guys doing the sound back there, the lights and people. And we are one great team of ministry partners with everybody doing their own specialty. If you got the What's Current video this week, you'll see uh, Marcos Rhodes put that together, but he showed the different people 
their names and their offices, you know, whether it's in IT, whether it's in communication, whether it's children's ministry. So it's one big team of ministry. I challenge you to consider yourself as we go through this, what team am I part of? You know, where do I serve? I'm a part of the meet and greet. You know, some people come to a worship service and then they are here to be able to serve others. Ministry is done together as a team. So be looking for those areas that I can be. Maybe I'm a Titicus. I am serving. Somebody can trust me. I can look to them and say, they will tell you about me. So Paul says he's coming in verse 9. He is coming with Onesimus, another faithful brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening. So if he said they are going to tell you everything, they may be part of Paul's intelligence, secret service team. So they knew a lot. But who is this guy whose name is Onesimus? Anybody hear about that name, Onesimus? Anybody know someone by the name Onesimus? Well, now you do, because he's our friend in the Bible. But Onesimus was also someone who was with Paul in prison. How did this get there? Well, there's a book written that will tell us more. I hope as we conclude maybe this Sunday afternoon, you want to read. Read the book of Philemon. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Onesimus was serving in the household of Philemon, and that's how he got his livelihood. We've talked in this text that slavery was part of something they did. They can help them in their household. But the Bible tells us in the book of Philemon, Onesimus ran away. I think when he ran away, he got arrested and is now in prison. So when you run away from your master and do something good and you are arrested and you face Paul, what's Paul going to do? He's going to tell you the gospel. So Paul in prison declared the gospel of Jesus Christ to this other prisoner. He told him the message of the gospel. God loves you, whatever you've run away from, whatever sin you've committed. He said, God loves you, and I want you to know that he has a plan for your life. You can trust in Jesus Christ. Onesimus did that in prison. You know, we have people who serve in our jails and prisons around here. Everywhere, the gospel is not bound. You cannot be limited by telling people anywhere in the gospel. Nobody will tell me that I can preach the gospel. So the gospel can always be declared where you are. And this gospel in the book of Philemon, if you read it, is after the book of Titus. It's a group that you, it's a book where you will see the salvation message. How do I know Jesus? In the book of Philemon, you can read about forgiveness. You can read about reconciliation. You can read about restoration. You can see how love is overwhelmed. So these are the two people that Paul is sending out. If Paul was able to tell Onesimus the gospel, how about you? Each one of us in this room and those online, we have the opportunity to understand the gospel. Every believer who have trusted Jesus, your job is to tell others about Jesus. Don't leave it just to us who are here. You know, every one of you are to be able to say, this is the gospel. If people run into you and they don't know what they're doing, you'll be able to tell them the gospel that Jesus is God's son who loved us. He died for us. And because sin has separated, we can receive Jesus and trust him and walk with him. That is the church growth strategy for Northland. These seats that are empty are going to be filled, number one, 
by inviting our friends and those some of you online, you start coming back. But also it's going to be filled when we lead people to Jesus, we bring them to the church and we start to walk together in Jesus. Amen? That is the task of the church. Are we committed to knowing the gospel? Maybe you are one of those who say, well, I don't know what to say. I am afraid. I, I really don't want to be rejected. Well, that's good. We have some news for you. One of our governing elders, and he's also serving with crew, Dan Hathaway will be doing a class coming this Thursday. It's every other month. He did it some time ago. He's teaching the class on how to share the hope you have in the gospel. So you can go on our, on our website online. It's going to take place here from 6.30 on Thursday the 5th from 6.30 to 9. You will learn basic skills that witnessing to people is a relational thing. You know, I cannot be in anywhere I cannot tell somebody about Jesus. I've actually been in places where the young man didn't know that he wanted to start to witness to him, to me, you know. I was in a store and he started to question me. Then, I said, I quickly, then he said, what do you do? You know, once that question is asked, and <laughs> I'm a pastor, you know. But that's the way relational evangelism should be done. You know, parents on the soccer field, on your business calls, you don't go in there and say, oh, I'm from North, I'm telling you about Jesus. No, just start a conversation. So I hope you can look into this class. It's just every other month, but sign up this week. You can pull your phone right now and start to sign up and say, I want to learn how I can be somebody telling others about Jesus. So we've said hi to Ty, Ty Tikos, and now to Onesimus. These were the people who were sent. Paul is now going to talk about those who are with him in prison, the rest of the team of his people. So we are here, we're in prison, but the church is over there in, in uh, Colossae. Here's what I'm writing. This was a mixed church. You know, we don't go around trying to say we're going to make a multiracial church. You know, the word church doesn't say that. On the, on the day of Pentecost, Everybody from every tribe and nation, you know. We have people who are Spanish, people who are Koreans, people who are any ethnicity. You know, you can be part of the church when you trust Jesus Christ. So Paul is going to give a list of people here. Three of those are his own countrymen because he said, these are the only Jews that are with me and the rest are Gentiles. When we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, it breaks every barriers. It breaks every barriers and saves people to come to Christ. So let's look at the, the composition of this church. And the, the next verse, verse 10. Let's say hello to the fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. Well, this guy is also in prison with Paul. He may have been there because he's preaching the gospel and some people didn't like it, so he's now in chains. But he's been traveling with Paul. Most of these names we're reading, if you read in the book of Acts chapter 13 and onward, you start to see the different people who are traveling with Paul on his missionary journey. What does Paul say about him? He said, he sends you greetings. This guy actually in Acts chapter 19 was with Paul in Ephesus where a riot broke out. You know, sometimes preaching the gospel will come with problems and difficulties and challenges. So that's Aristarchus, he sends greetings. Verse 10, he said, so does Mark the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Why is Paul connecting uh, Mark with some other things? He said, welcome him. Secondly, he's the cousin of Barnabas. 
Well, in the book of Acts, we read in chapter 12, Mark's mother always welcomed people in the home. So this guy must have come to know the Lord. It's also said that Peter also must have led him to the Lord and discipled him to be a strong Christian. So Paul is saying, this is John Mark, but something happened. John Mark went on the first missionary journey with Paul and the travel in those difficult areas. You know, it must have been his first short-term mission trip and things got rough on that trip. So on the second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark and Paul said, not on my watch. This guy, he's flaky. You know, the last time on the trip, things got tough and he just got whiny, whiny and I'm not going to take it. Paul was just that type of guy. But in that conflict that they had, it didn't stop advancing the, 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 the mission. Paul took the other team members and they went on their trip and the missionary journey and Barnabas took John Mark and they went on their trip and he continued to do ministry. Some people will disappoint you in ministry. Some people will really, really don't come along you. You know, church has problems, has Northland has one. Uh, yeah, and some, some of those, but be the one that encourages others to stay with it, to stand strong. John Mark stood strong because somebody like Barnabas took him. Later on, when Paul says you received instructions about him, because he was a very good guy later on. He overcame his failures, his weaknesses, and all those problems he has. And so Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Mark is useful. Use him in the ministry. Don't give up on brothers and sisters who just make ministry difficult. Stay with them and keep moving along. Mark was one of those who wrote the book that bears his name in the Gospel of Mark. Who would have wondered that he could have done that? So that's one of the people we say hello to him, and he's in prison, also serving and Paul over there. Next, we see a young man. His name is just called... Jesus, justice, you know, sends greetings. So these are the only Jews. So those first three are the only Jews that are with Paul. Can you imagine a guy's name, Jesus? So in the prayer meetings, everybody prayed and saying, Jesus' name. He would think it's the same. No, no, no. The name Jesus is the same as the name Joshua. You know, the savior, the healer, the one, the savior who can set us free. So his name was Jesus, which is a Hebrew name, but he also took a Greek name because he was living among those people and the name Justice was the name he took. So he can blend in well and be able to be all things to all men. A fellow and faithful man who also sends greetings. So we see him as the Jews. Now we start to see who are the Gentiles with Paul. The next one we see in verse 12. His name is Epaphras, who is one of you. We met Epaphras in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Epaphras was the guy who actually started the church. He's from the city of Colossae. When Paul in Acts chapter 19 was preaching the gospel, Epaphras had come from Colossae to Ephesus and heard the gospel preach. And he got saved and he went back home and started the church. And this is the church that he was the pastor of. He was the leader of this church, and then his church started to have challenging difficulties. False teachers came into the church. Other people were saying, we have a secret knowledge, and they were just boasting about what they had. So he's in prison with Paul, and Paul said, let me write a letter 
to the Colossians and tell them, focus on Jesus. The problem of your church is not going to go away. Your false teachers, the people who are filled with pride and knowledge, tell them that Jesus is all in all to focus on him. So this is the Epaphras, who is also Paul is commending. But there are a couple of things that Paul says about Epaphras. He said he started a church and two other churches. It was a church planter. He was a faithful minister and a man of prayer. I want us to pause a little bit to look at Epaphras. What can I learn from my own Christian life to be a man of prayer? And Paul tells us what kind of prayer. Here are the ways that Epaphras prayed. How was he devoted to prayer? And Paul gives us that he prayed in the following areas. So we read that he is wrestling verse, in verse 12. He's always wrestling in prayer. Prayer is a difficult thing to do. Church, prayer is the, the lifeline of every believer. And if, if this church leader is known for prayer, how much more you and I can pray? Let's look at the ways that he prayed. He said he prayed constantly. And he, he was very consistent in his prayer life. He was not just having it as a field that when I feel good, I pray. He must have been praying at morning, noon, and evening. He was fervently praying. When he says wrestling in prayer, prayer is a difficult job. Someone had said about prayer, praying that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Prayer that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. So when we talk about really being a church that prays Northland, it's going to cost us time. It's not convenient when I want to pray, whether it's a couple praying or when we're raising our children, whether it's in the work, you know, prayer is difficult. But Epaphras was praying and personally, he was praying by name. He was praying for his church over there in Colossae. He's praying about this new believer called Onesimus. He's praying for his, his master Philemon and his wife Archippus and the church that meets in their house. Get names of people and start praying for them and, and be personal. And also when you pray, you are able to let people know God's will. Because Paul says here, he is praying that you become firm in, in the will of God, mature and fully complete. Where Paul is saying that, if you're praying specifically for these churches and the will of God, you have to make sacrifices in prayer. When we are going back home and when we were a disciple, I remember the missionary Bill Roberts told us to read this book on prayer. I still haven't checked with the bookstore, but if you can get this book by E.M. Bounds, it's a book on prayer. Many books he wrote on prayer. His name is E.M. Bounds. He wrote this. Every mighty move of the Spirit of God has had its resource in the prayer chamber. It is only when the whole heart is gripped with the passion of prayer that the life-giving fire descends. I want to call us to a church that prays daily, that prays weekly, and that prays monthly. I, I trust that in your ministry work, you are looking for areas you can pray. You can gather people together. We do that, you know, at, at the church here. If you know Mr. Rick Bradshaw, pray at noon. Something goes on, everybody gets an email or whatever text message. We all gather right out there to just read scripture and pray. That is the habit of Christians. Luke 10.2 says that the work of this kingdom of Northland Church is not going to go anywhere except Luke 10.2. Pray for the Lord of the harvest. 
So some people set their phone, uh, one of my coworkers here, Matthew Charles, he sets his phone on two minutes after 10, which is Luke chapter 10, verse two. It goes up, whatever he's doing, he pauses to pray that God will give us more laborers in the kingdom of God. Let's be a church that prays. If you don't want to set the AM, you can do the PM, then you can go to sleep after that. But we are a church that is de- want to be devoted to prayer. Once a month, the last Thursday, of every month we gather here is just intercessory prayer. We are led in worship by some of our team members and we just pray for all of our ministries and our church. The lead pastor role has been high on prayer. Things are happening, folks, because it's happening in prayer. Every Tuesday, since we started last April, every Tuesday morning, the team gathers together, the pastor search committee, virtual. We've been doing that and we just pray We pray for that person, whatever church that pastor is. Pray for him, his family, his congregation. He will know the will of God, and we're praying for you. So you better be praying for us on the pastor search committee. We pray for our congregation. We're praying that we will seek the mind of God at the right time. And also we pray for everybody on that team that the spirit of God will not get tired because it gets weary. So we are not only praying fervently, constantly like Epaphras, but we are also working. You know, we are doing a lot of interviews. You know, we, these people, they send, in their, they send in their bios. We read that. We listen to sermons. We interview them, and we're just seeking the will of God. They are praying. We are praying. I thought this was a quick stuff that I would do in 12 months, but here we are in August 1. We're still trusting God because it's not a linear process that we're just going to get there. It's the God and his spirit leading them and leading us. Will you join us to be in prayer, to be like Epaphras, that one day when that man stands on the stage, he will know that hundreds and thousands of people have been praying. Let's be the church that is known for prayer. Let's be the individual believers that are known for prayer. Let's be groups that you meet, whether with your kids, you are driving in the car. Pray, pray, pray. Did I say pray? Yes, I did. So let's say hello to another friend in the, in the list here of Paul, is Luke. Luke was a medical physician. How wonderful it would have been for Paul on his missionary journey, he has his own personal physician. What an opportunity. But there are things we can learn from Luke. Even though he was a medical doctor traveling with Paul, he believed in healing that would come through medicine, but he also believed in the supernatural healing. You can see that on the missionary journey. But Luke is an example of our friends in ministry who do what I call confluence. Dr. Sam Sato teaches a class here. It's called um, Business and Bible. How do you take business principles and biblical principles and put them together? It's not either or. All truth is God's truth. So you are able to bring those confluence together. Luke was one of those. He knew the word of God. He knew his professional job. Whatever God has given you as your professional service, see it as the way of advancing the gospel. See it as telling people about Jesus. That's how people, you know, become missionaries. I just told you about Derek, you know, software engineer. You know, wife is in leadership development and all of that. But they are serving God far away there through the gifts and skills that they have been given to him. I look forward to the men and women in this church who speak into my own life. I'm not a business pastor, 
So I look to Tom and Sam and Dan, all those guys, and we have a great uh, um, finance team here and different leaders who bring all of this together. That is what we can learn from Luke. And then we also see uh, Demas. Demas, this guy, is also mentioned in the book of Philemon. He's always hanging out with the other Christians. He sends greetings. But he has a sad part in the story of Demas. Demas, we read in Luke chapter, in 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 14. He loved the things of this present world and he abandoned the faith. I hope that has never been said of us in our Christian walk, that we've been walking for Jesus, but we get so caught up. These days, there are many things to distract us from the truth of the scripture. If you're going to be examining everything through the eyes of culture, politics, or social things, brother, you will miss it. You will be like a demons. You will be, you will be deserting the faith. Examine everything like in the book of Colossians here through the eyes of Jesus. So he went away. He didn't walk with the Lord. I hope he got things right with the Lord. But let's be the people who are focusing on Jesus that we're not getting sidetracked. So Paul has talked about those who took the letters, uh, Titicus and Onesimus, and he's talked about the others who were with him in prison. They're all part of his friends and in the ministry together. But now he's going to talk about those in the area that were there. So we read about this group of people that he starts on the second part of verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea. That was one of the churches that uh, Epaphras has started. And also the, to the church at Nympha and the church that meets in our house. So what Paul is saying here, there are others who are not in my immediate circle of church, but I send my greetings. So Laodicea, they were going to exchange the letters. You read the letter of Colossians. You read the letter of, uh, some people think the Laodicean letter was the one written to Ephesians because these are the prison letters. You know, um, Colossians, um, Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians. And it said, share those letters, share scriptures, is what we're learning here. But he also made mention the church that meets with Nympha. This was a beloved sister who also believed in Jesus and started a house church. She was a woman leading our church in that area that she was. And in some cultures and in some contexts, God will bring out people who are able to lead a church. You know, you can, you can find this out because some of us have been able to have the experience, the stories of people tell us about the fastest growing church in the world. The fastest growing church is the church that is having all these difficulties. In that country that I will not name, we only know them to say, well, they deal in nuclear bombs, this one, they are not part of the U.S. treaty. But that country has one of the fastest growing church. And for the safety of the believers and for the church to advance, it's really led by some of the women in that, in that country. They are advancing. In 1979, there were about 500 believers in this country, but now there are about millions of people leading the church. So it would be like Nympha, they have these little house churches and advancing the gospel. The point here is it's not who is leading the church, it is the advancement of the context that it is doing in that Middle East area that is breaking barriers. One more person, Paul says in verse 17, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received. The question for you at Northland today, as you hear me in this room or online, 
What will you say that God has called you as the ministry that is given to you? Is it in your family, as a mom, as a business person, or are you in a corporation? What is the ministry that God has given to you? What is the ministry when Jesus says all of us should be about making disciples, going out there, evangelizing, and changing lives? That ministry has to be completed. It's not going to be over. God is not done with Northland yet. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom, that's what this church is doing over there. We'll be preaching all the world as a witness and testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. I don't know when Jesus is coming, but what we should be about is to complete in the ministry, whether it's in children's ministry, by the way, let me tell you, some of us who were here on Friday, the children had a performance here. Oh my goodness, they memorized scripture, they had song and dance, it was unbelievable. Hats out to the children's ministry leaders. Anyway, that's completing the ministry in children, in students, and in adults. We have a work for the kingdom to be doing. Where are you called to complete the ministry? Jesus gave the orders in Matthew 28, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Everybody should be hearing the gospel from every one of you here at Northland. It's not the clergy responsibility, but if you are not declaring Jesus where you are, you are not completing the ministry. Find out what God has called you to, to do as your ministry. It all varies. Some people is hospitality, different one. Look in the scripture, complete that ministry. Because in that great commission, it's given corporate, but it's also given individual. A day of reckoning is coming to say, you came to Northland, you sat in the same seats, you never went out telling people about Jesus. That is disobedience. Declare the gospel where you are, in your families, in your home, in your surroundings. That's what it means completing the, the gospel. Obedience as individual, or obedience as our church. What will it look like if all of us in this room today, we are out there praying, Telling the good news as we learn and inviting. Invite friends. They don't have to be Christians to come to church. Did you know that? Just invite them to come to the place of worship. So Paul is declaring this. Completes the ministry. All that will complete the ministry we're giving. Verse 17 is actually our memory verse for today. Now that I know your name tags, I'm going to call you to read it. Who wants to do it? No, next week. <laughs> and finally, Paul says in verse 18, I, Paul, Write these greetings in my own hands. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So in closing, Paul is saying, I am the one that I am endorsing this letter. I am the one that God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to me. Whoever was the scribe, was the secretary, wrote it, and Paul said, my name is here. He did that in Thessalonians. He also did that in Corinthians. He said, I wrote this letter. And Paul is saying, I want you to believe and behave in the right way we have learned in this book. But Paul is also saying, here is how I affirm. Here are my chains. Paul was not ashamed of the chains. His hands were probably chained and his feet were chained. But the chains were not for Paul to limit telling Jesus. Sometimes we think that I am in a difficult place. You know, like uh, Marilyn and her husband would say, well, we are in Spain. Is one believer, maybe to a thousand believers. Well, that's where they are called. And that's where they are doing. So like Paul, he's in these chains. 
are for me to advance the gospel. These chains are not for you to go and protest so that I can be set free. These chains are not for you to start to think somebody is limiting the gospel. The gospel is never bound. There's no place, no one can ever tell me you don't pray or you can't um, uh, tell the gospel. The opportunity is just come. You know, when kids are going back to school this semester, they say once there's a test and an exam in a school, there will always be prayer. You know, pray, God help me. That's a quick prayer. So let's be the ones like Paul that there is no limitation of how I am declaring the gospel. And Paul ends, grace be with you. The favor of God, what we don't deserve that God has given to us. That favor of God is for salvation, and second, it is for service. Salvation to know Jesus as your savior. Salvation to trust him as the one that he has given me new life. That's what the grace of God does. We were lost in sin. We sang about that. We were lost in sin, but Jesus has set us free. Do you experience that? If you're not, you are welcome here. At the end of services, there are people up front here, online, or all around the place here that we can tell you what's your next step in following Jesus. But the grace of God is also for service. Those of us who know Jesus, are we going out declaring him? Let me finally close with this, um, some reflections and some points that you can be thinking about. Know the word of God. Know and understand the Bible. We're encouraging us to be people of the book. Everything you look through, don't look through it in the lenses of culture or in the lenses of politics. Look through it through the eyes of scripture. What does God say first? Understand the Bible. There are classes, there are groups. We're going to be uh, showing you our new friends and family members here. Be part of sharing the gospel. I hope you can register for um, the class on Thursday. There's another class that's a deep, deep dive. It's 15 weeks of what we call perspective on the world Christian movement. We take you into history, into Bible, into culture, and everything. If you want to learn more about the gospel, let's be honest in sharing the gospel with each other. Let's be honest and telling each other what we need to and encourage. You are all an encouragement to me each day I see you here or hear from you if you are online. Prayer, we've talked about Epaphras. Will you join in the prayer? If you want to be on the Thursday, 6 p.m., people gather here for prayer. Be willing to share in the gospel and suffering. Those who are going to reject you because you stand for Jesus, praise be to God. Not for my own failures and foolishness, but I love Jesus, and if this is going to make it hard for me to tell about Jesus, suffering comes. All who desire to live a God, godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Extend grace to others means forgiving, reconciling, loving, and living with others. And I finally thank you for each one of you. You are the ones I will say you are a faithful minister of Jesus. Whatever Jesus has given for you to do, you are a faithful minister for the kingdom. That's why we're building the church. That's why we're inviting others to be able to say, we are part of this church called Northland. This past year has been tough, but we've been able to do some great things. And we're going to be able to tell you those. I'll be, I'll be closing shortly, but let me just encourage you. Finish reading the book of uh, Colossians. Read the book of Philemon. That could be uh, together. Go into the Digging Deeper Bible study, and you can learn more about these people. Memorize those verses, pick them out as you leave today, uh, verse 17 of chapter 4.